Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. Today is Saturday, July 27th, 2019, starting at 12.22 p.m. in Denver, Colorado, and this is the 116th episode of the show. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the astrological forecast for August of 2019 uh, with my good friends Austin Kopic and Kelly Surtees. First, we're going to do a little bit of a recap where we talk about um, what happened over the past month since we did our last forecast, and we're also going to check in on just uh, what's been going on with Austin and Kelly since that time. And then eventually we'll jump into the forecast, probably about 45 minutes to an hour into the episode. So if you want to jump ahead to the forecast, you can find timestamps for the video version below the video in the description. Or if you're on listening to the audio version, you can find the timestamps to jump forward on the podcast website for this episode at theastrologypodcast.com. So this episode is being recorded in front of a live audience. So thanks everybody for joining us today. These are all patrons who are joining us who support the show. And for more information about how to support the podcast and the production of future episodes, uh, while getting access to benefits like the ability to attend live recordings or early access to new episodes, please visit theastrologypodcast.com slash subscribe. All right. Hey guys, thanks for joining me today. My Hello. pleasure. You are both in new surroundings, having both uh, randomly moved roughly at the same exact time. Yes, <laughs> randomly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, you're both born, we established recently, very close together. Yes. Yeah. Um, about a week. About a yeah. week apart. And Kelly, you've just moved from Canada to Belgium. Yes, just for fun. Just for well, fun. Actually, for my husband's job, but yes. <laughs> It's been an intense month. And I know it's interesting. I'm really keen to catch up with both of you, but especially to hear, Austin, how you are doing with your move. We feel like our move is sort of half done because everything's been packed up and sent, but we haven't received everything because, of course, moving countries is a little more of a drawn-out process than packing up the moving truck and driving to wherever you're going and then unpacking later that day or the next day. So we haven't got to the unpacking part yet. Uh, so we're still a little in limbo and because what's happened now, so our stuff has arrived in Belgium, but it has to go through customs. And that's something that can be a few days, a few weeks, you know, nobody can give you any clear answers. So we knew that going in. Uh, so we're just uh, appreciating a bit of a pause, but it looks a little different at your end, Austin. Yeah. Um, I, I think that your comment about unpacking later that day is hilarious. Yeah, I know because really unpacking takes like months. Yeah, it does. Um, let's see. We've been, I guess we've been here here for about two weeks, but we went to a conference last weekend and that was a conference we're very glad we went to. It was the VGS, the Veritas Genii Symposium. It's a plant magic get together. It was fantastic. And we'd signed up for it. I don't know eight months ago when we didn't know it would be in the middle of a move. And so we were, we got here, we were here a few, few days conference, and then I've been here a few days again. So we are, we are, we are even more delayed in our unpacking than would be reasonable. Also, this room was a horrid, truly oppressive salmon pink color. Uh, it was awful. And so I had to put two coats of uh, primer and then two coats of paint on here to get it to be something other than a hell cage and then move all my stuff in. The painting. My... Yeah. That's what people sometimes forget with moving is that then you have to do it all the painting and freshening up before you can even get unpacked. 
Yeah. And I mean, you can't set anything up when you're in the middle of painting unless you're cool with giving it a lively spotty coat of paint. (laughs) So yeah, my, I, I had considered whether I should try to make my office presentable for the podcast, but this is the truth of it right now where there's a ladder over there. There's a paint roller. Some of my books are, uh, are out of the boxes. There are also many more in boxes. Mm. I'm happy to be here, but you know, very much in process. Yeah. And I love how both of you are settling in towards the end of the Mercury uh, retrograde where Mercury's getting ready to station and all of your stuff is basically about to show up any day now, right, Kelly? Yeah. Fingers crossed. Everybody do some good magic for that. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully they deliver your stuff and not somebody else's books. Yeah. Um, oh, the books. It's the worst. I had to be real, like I could bring, you know, maybe 10 books with me. I have to think which ones to pick. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, uh, when I was packing books, I packed uh, two or three boxes and wrote priority um, yes. in gigantic letters on it. Cause it's like, I'm going to need these for work. Like these are reference books. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm glad I did that. I think that's always like the biggest thing any astrologer has to move is like their book collection. Uh, but what's funny is there's like stories about that going back to like the sixth century of Justinian closing down all the philosophical school or the pagan philosophical schools and all the astrologers leaving and like going to Persia and like taking their books with them. It's like oh, a story. Wow. It's a story I always thought was deeply relatable because I kind of imagined them like packing up their books uh and taking them with them because I've seen that with other astrologers that are contemporaries like all the time that that's one of their most prized like prioritized things but also the hardest things to move because you have so many boxes of them. Yeah. And they're so heavy. Yeah, like right. they they're the most expensive thing to have to move. Yeah. 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 So all right, guys. So let's. Um, we were going to do some pre-show stuff. I want to start maybe by checking in on the past month and talking about how the astrology ended up working out since it's been a month since we discussed the forecast for July. And now that July is largely over, it would be good to check in. We finished part two of what has been lovingly dubbed the meat grinder uh, uh, by Austin, and yes. that caught on somehow. Did it play out? Did it meet up to its expectations? Did it live up to the expectations of the meat grinder? Austin, um, like sure. million, million yard stare. It, it's it, it has been a a gauntlet of necessity. Expecting it to be rife with challenges made it a lot easier. There were a few points where I I was sort of like, why are things so hard right now? Mm. Um, and I was like, you know, that's not fair. Or, you know, I was having normal human emotional reactions. And I was like, no, no, no. Like this runs for another couple of weeks. Just bear down until you get there and then you can complain. Um, and that was actually really helpful because, uh, you know, um, even though one portion of me knows what to expect, et cetera, et cetera, the other part was like, well, but this is hard and I'm tired. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. You talked about this, like you wrote about this like seven months ago or eight months ago. And so, you know, knowing there was a challenge made it easier to rise to it. And honestly, I felt relatively blessed in my, uh, the numerous small challenges that I was pushed to confront rather than some of the, the big, the big ugly stuff that I've heard lots of reports of. And a lot of people just getting hurt. Um, and in some case dying. 
So, you know, I'll take, I'll take, uh, I'll take a, a multitude of inconveniences over getting in a car accident any day. Yeah. I'm one of the people that actually passed away was a guest of the astrology podcast, mm. uh, who is Tim Tarker, who is the founder of the mountain astrologer magazine, uh, passed away in early July, actually right when Mercury was stationing retrograde in Leo, which was his rising sign from uh, sort of throat cancer that moved very fast and like he was fighting it for a few months and then all of a sudden he was in hospice and then all of a sudden he was gone. But thankfully last year I was able to do an episode with him where I'd been pushing to do it for a while where we just sort of covered his life and his work and specifically documented his history with the Mountain Astrologer magazine. And that was episode 149 of the Astrology Podcast. So I'd really recommend people go back and listen to it because it has a lot of added weight at this point um, now that he's passed away, which we didn't anticipate happening so soon when we recorded it. But that's definitely one of the reasons why I've been trying to get some of these biographical interviews with some of these older astrologers to document some of that history while we still have a chance to. Yeah, that's awesome. He was um he was a a kind bright and insightful person whose work carried you know astrology through a lot of the i don't know last quarter of the 20th century you know that was that that was part of as i've mentioned before that was part of my initial education in astrology was uh, a couple how to astrology books from the used bookstore and a stack of about 40 old mountain astrologers uh, mm. that i bought for 20 bucks yeah, and that's one of the best ways to learn astrology if you're early on is the Mountain Astrologer magazine. Because one of the things he was really good about that I really he's a very humble person. Um, but one of the things I respected the most, not just about the fact that he took what it was essentially a like a photocopied newsletter is how he started it, selling it in like grocery stores in 1987, and it became over the next 20 or 30 years one of the largest and most well circulated and well respected astrological publications in the world. But one of the things he was really good about was creating a space and a platform to showcase many different approaches to astrology. And you can mm. find like articles on modern Western astrology, on like Vedic astrology, on traditional astrology. Like the mountain astrologer has always been very diverse or very good about showcasing the diversity of the astrological community. And I think that was a precedent that he set that then influenced other. People and other mediums, including myself, and like what I've tried to achieve with the astrology podcast is very much not emulating, but influenced by what he created with the Mountain Astrologer. Yeah, well, and it was um, it, it it was not all written at a beginner level either. It wasn't just for consumers of astrology. You know, it was in many ways for practitioners at a variety of levels. Mm. Um, and that was something that set it apart from some of the other stuff or from a lot of the other material that was on the market. It wasn't like right. mass market horoscopes. Yeah. Yeah. I always appreciated the fine balance they were able to strike between having enough articles to make it a valuable purchase for someone newer to astrology, as well as having enough meatier or more complex pieces for those who are more well-versed in the language. So I believe the magazine is continuing though. Um, so if anyone hasn't subscribed, you can jump on and do that. Yeah, I think it would be a great um, thing to show of support is is people renewing their mm. subscriptions or getting new subscriptions in order to help encourage the team that he sort of left behind, including his wife, that 
you know, they want to continue it and they want to keep it going and mm. try to continue that legacy. So um, I would definitely recommend going and searching for the Mountain Astrologer magazine and and you know getting a subscription, not just to support them for the hell of it, which is good to do in and of itself, but also because it's actually a great resource for astrologers at any level and it it should be supported by the community. So yeah, that was one of the things that happened. So we had um, the Mercury retrograde station at the beginning of the month conjunct Mars. We also had the eclipses, so the first full set of eclipses in Cancer and Capricorn. And that was really interesting to see how that was manifesting in different people's lives as well. Uh, Lisa and I actually did a workshop at the Mercury Cafe earlier this month where we went through and took examples from the audience of just eclipses falling in different houses and how that's worked out in different people's lives, showing how it really activates the axis between those two houses for you know, a year and a half or a couple of years as the eclipses are bouncing back and forth between those two whole sign houses. Um, and we're able to get some pretty vivid stories that we released as episode 115 of the podcast, just about showing how those topics can sometimes manifest very literally in a person's life. Do you guys have any good eclipse stories in your own life from the past about like an eclipse that fell in a specific house or axis of two houses and how that really correlated with some major change or like turning point in your life? I'm just fact checking. Like some examples were like I had an eclipse that fell in my fourth whole sign house and I moved away from my home state for the first time ever and moved to Seattle to study at Kepler College. And then not long after that, I ended up moving to Maryland to study at Project Hindsight or had an eclipse in my seventh house 10 years ago and started a major relationship. I had one that was really funny that was somebody I know who had an eclipse just take place. The Cancer Eclipse was in their third house because they have Taurus rising. And I forgot to mention this on some other recordings, but it was really funny because they moved to a different state in the United States in order to take care of a sick niece who's going through a fight with cancer. And the person um, sold their house and they moved into an RV and they're now living in an RV, which is a funny like third house thing mm. down in, in sort of the vicinity of their niece, which is another third house thing. So like a couple of overlapping significations of the third house there for that person. Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah. Um, so off the top of my head, Kate and I moved in together for the first time a long time ago um, <laughs> on an eclipse on the ruler of my seventh. And I, let's see, I stopped to, I stopped, I made the decision to stop writing my annual almanac as a print publication right around um, a South Node Eclipse in my 10th on my Mercury. Let's see. Sounds um, pretty good. I lost my voice for almost two weeks during an, during an eclipse on my Ascendant. That would have been South Node. There was a South Node solar on my Ascendant in 2009. Uh, and I lost my voice. Uh, I was as sick as I've been in, I don't know, five, 10 years, right around the, uh, the days leading up to the eclipse in cancer that we just had. So, you know, first house, uh, eclipse is not, eclipse energy is not um, sustaining, right? It's not life supporting. It's, it's change. Um, 
uh, uh, change enabling, change catalyzing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that can be good that, you know, we both move during the eclipse season, Kelly. Yeah. Um, well, and that angle is active in both of our charts. Yeah. Yeah. The le- late and- Capricorn is something for both of us. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and so. Yes. Anyway, well, I- the- go ahead. I was going to say, when I first moved to Canada, so September 2008, there was an eclipse just prior to that on Jupiter in my chart, which rules so much of my chart because, like, the Leo eclipses, mm-hmm. um, just, like, maybe two months beforehand. And then uh, I was teaching, so I couldn't go sooner. But shortly thereafter, uh, moved countries. Jupiter is the ruler of your ascendant in your 10th, right? Yeah. Okay. Pretty good. Yeah. Any others? That's it. That's all right. Uh, that's all right. That's the only one I've got that I can okay. find quickly. <laughs> well, you are in luck because um, my for that episode we released the eclipse episode, which some people have listened to, but for those that haven't, I just want to make sure people don't sleep on that episode because it was a really good one. If you've ever wanted to know how to work with eclipses, and Paula Bellomini created this awesome oh, yeah. handout for us. Which is a several page, like a five page printable PDF, which just gives a table of solar and lunar eclipse dates to show you what the date was, but also what sign of the zodiac it falls in. And that's good for like, it's like an 80 year handout. So you can actually not just look at what the current and upcoming eclipses are, but more importantly, you can go back through your past chronology. And I would recommend especially focusing on what houses the eclipse fell on in the past and just seeing if any major topics came up when the eclipse fell in that house. And sometimes you'll find some really interesting stuff. Can you go back to the early 80s on that, Chris? Sure. I know that's a while ago. I was like, okay. So like early, early 80s? Yeah, like between 80 and 85. There we go. So So it was going through like Leo, Aquarius, and see, this is also useful because it demonstrates that idea that it just bounces back and forth between two signs for like a year and a half or sometimes two years. And then eventually it switches to another axis of two signs. But as a result of that, it means it's bouncing back and forth between two houses in your chart as well. And you'll often see this interesting exchange or interplay between those two houses at that time. This is so interesting because in 1981, there are eclipses in early Leo again. And we actually moved from Australia to Fiji for my dad's work at that time. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And the, so. So you had a similar repetition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super interesting. Thanks. So there cool. you go. Eclipses anyway. on Jupiter. You can, you too can move countries. Yeah. So that handout, you can find it. It's linked to on the podcast website under episode 215. So just go to theastrologypodcast.com and pull up the episode titled Interpreting Solar and Lunar Eclipses in Your Birth Chart. Scroll down and you will see the PDF titled Solar and Lunar Eclipse Dates PDF. That's a great resource, actually. I saw that flash by on social media at some point, and uh, that'd be amazing because it's much faster to to, um, have that and lighter than having your whole ephemeris with you in a hurry. Yeah, well, and, and the original idea for it was there's another ephemeris that ACS makes, which is like tables of planetary phenomenon or something. Do you know uh, what the name, of, name of that is? No, I don't, but I get the concept. It's very cool. Planetary phenomenon. Quick Google. Yeah, looking it up really quickly. Tables of planetary phenomenon by Neil Mickelson. 
Um, so it's the same people that make the ACS Atlas or the American Atlas that we all use. But um, that book has a few page thing where it does something similar in terms of showing eclipse dates. So that was kind of where I got the idea for doing another handout like that to make it a little bit more clean and a little bit easier to print out and everything else. But that's a good ephemeris to check out for ephemeris aficionados. That's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. So eclipses were one of the components of the meat grinder. We've talked a little bit about the Mercury retrograde, and I think we wanted to go back to that because there's a little bit more Mercury retrograde stuff to discuss. One of the realizations I had, and it wasn't a major one, but it was useful for me, was thinking about the astronomy of Mercury retrograde this month, I realized one of the primary keywords for Mercury retrograde for me has always been delays. So delays in the manifestation of something or delays in the attempt to manifest or initiate something, and sometimes detours or digressions. Uh, but I was realizing that part of the astronomical reason for that this month is that what happens when Mercury goes retrograde is it's moving forward in the zodiac. It's moving forward in its normal motion in this like path around the Earth from our perspective. But then when it goes retrograde, it suddenly slows down and starts doing a loop where it starts moving backwards, but eventually it stations direct and does another loop and comes back and starts going forward again, and then eventually returns back to essentially where it started, and then it continues or it completes its journey. So what's happening from an astronomical standpoint is Mercury eventually it's going, but then it has a slight detour or a slight delay, and then eventually gets back on the tr on track or back onto its path and does complete its journey. So I think that's the reason astronomically why symbolically Mercury retrograde, one of the primary keywords is just delays, because it's not that Mercury just doesn't complete its journey or gets completely thrown off track. It just has this detour for about three weeks before eventually um, doing what it needs to do and, and completing its journey. So I wanted to mention that just as a, a useful thing to think about when people are trying to understand and conceptualize why Mercury retrograde means what it means. It's because it has that specific astronomical movement, and that astronomical movement has a mirroring or a symbolic connection with what's happening on Earth at that time, uh, and that's you know Mercury retrograde. Yeah, it so. looks if you trace its path, it looks like a little roller coaster loop de loop. One of the things that mm, creates the delays or part of the delayed journey is that you get circuitous routes and circumambulatory movement towards goals rather than straight lines. Um, you'll know because you know with a detour you get there, but it's not a straight line. You planned on the straight line, but um, as Chris was saying, if you look at what Mercury's doing, Mercury's doing this, right? Yeah. The the path from here to here is this mm. rather than this, um, and, and you see that too. And you'll yeah. get there, but uh, well, a lot of some most of the time you'll get there, but you need. Uh, but there's that, yeah. There's that that country road uh, quality to it. That uh, <laughs> yeah, the freeway that, is not available. You've got to take the roundabout route. Yeah, yeah. And I had a funny one with that this time, where I ordered this book, this like expensive academic book that from Brill, that was a translation of one of the books of the 12th century astrologer Ibn Ezra, and it has like a Hebrew critical edition and then a Greek or an English translation. And after a couple of weeks, I just got the book the other day 
and I opened up the front cover of the book, and then it was the inside was backwards and upside down, so that it started on the first page with the index, and then the book went backwards in order, and also all the text was like op- facing the opposite direction or was upside down. And it wasn't because the book was in Hebrew or something like that, but it was because the book was just misprinted. So then I had to like file a claim on Amazon and ship the book back. And then eventually, once they get it, they'll refund me the money, and then I'll have to order another. And then eventually, I'll get the book, but there'll be this like annoying delay in the process. And that's just so common of Mercury retrograde. And sometimes it happens on little, just annoying things like that, like just trying to get a book. But other times, it happens on bigger. Things as well, but it's still the same dynamic or process. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the Absolutely. that's the shape of it. Absolutely. I mean, I had a really classic Mercury retrograde years ago when I was flying from Sydney back to Canada, and you know, went to the airport, went through customs, got on the plane. Plane takes off. We fly about an hour and a half north. We have dinner on the plane, and the plane's like, something's wrong. We have to go back to Sydney. It's a 15-hour flight, mind you. We're going to have to go back to Sydney. You're all going to have to leave the airport, go and stay in a hotel, or go back to wherever you came from, and come back again in the morning, and we'll go for take two. And, you know, massive loop-de-loop. Still got there, but on obviously a massive delay, so... It's that perfect. That's a really good visual, actually, for people like the the country road detour. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Did you have anything come up this one or any past famous Mercury retrograde stories or anecdotes like that, Austin? Sure. Let's see. So yesterday, um, I was trying to get my mic situation working, and this is you know it. This is a fancy, high quality mic, and like. Most sophisticated things, there are more points of breakage. It's not a plug and play. And so I'd been messing with it ever since I set up my desk and it hadn't quite worked, but I had something else to do and it wasn't necessary. But last night I was like, okay, we're going to do the podcast tomorrow. I need to make sure this works. And I spent about an hour just going over every connection and everything. I, I, you know, everything was correct but the computer wasn't recognizing the device. Okay. And I was getting very frustrated. And then Kate came down and I went over it with her and she just like unplugged some stuff and plugged it back in and it worked, which was wonderful. And at the same time, extremely frustrating. It was like, you know, you're like, but I just did that four times, but it, but it worked, but it worked. And yeah. So, you know, like getting all of the connections, right. And, I don't know. It just needed to be unplugged. The right thing needed, the right things needed to be unplugged and then replugged in the right order, which is mm-hmm. not something you find in an instruction manual. Let's see. Uh, on the Mercury retrograde. What is the purpose of that, though? Because, like, sometimes with Mercury retrograde things where you have to do the do over, you have to do it twice, it's like noticeably better the second time when you have to put more effort into it or there's something you learn from the process. But it seems like sometimes it's just like an annoying thing where you have to do it twice or it takes longer than it should have. And I wonder what the point is, if, if there's a point to that. Well, I think sometimes there is a point and then sometimes you're just spitting into the wind. Yeah. Sometimes that like that's an experience that we have to have. And, and I don't know that that experience exists in the world. And like those are sometimes just the times in which that happens. It's certainly available during those times. Sure. Okay. It's, what it's, was your it's, other it's, 
cheap store? at the store. Oh, let's see. Oh, uh, our dishwasher. So we yeah. ordered a, a dishwasher and then the dishwasher came and the dishwasher fellow came and uh, the whole like under sink area gets taken apart and this and that. And I don't even remember, but there's like some widget that's missing. And so now we have just, uh, and so they weren't able to install it. And so there's just a giant dishwasher in the middle of the living room and the dishwasher man can't come back until next week. And um, that one's, that one's particularly good for mercury and cancer because it's water and, you know, it's about cleaning and it's very, it's a domestic product, right? We have mercury in the domicile of the moon. Uh, it's like, mm, thanks. Right. Yeah. That's annoying. Oh, uh, and so- Kate, Kate reminds me that they, re- they rescheduled the install for Wednesday, next Wednesday, which is the day that mercury goes direct. I love it. I love it. Perfect. All that's right. So good. Any other meat grinder anecdotes or other things now that we're we're coming towards the tail end of it? We're we're almost out of it. I don't have any. Do you want to share anything, Austin? I feel I like mean, I've just been in uh, moving land, and that's yeah. been emotional. Like you mentioned before, Austin, for us, a lot of the logistical stuff, Touchwood has gone relatively well. It's been the emotional instability of just being in transition and being in flux, and that's been. It's not that it's not to be expected, but then once you're in it, you're like, oh yeah, I knew it would feel unsettling and this is what unsettling feels like and I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah, there there, there has been, uh, yeah, there's certainly been some, well, there, yes, in transition internally as well as externally. That's um, a great way I, of putting it. All, all yeah. of my, all of the meat grinder stories that I can think about right now are just um, more unpleasant things that happen to people. Like, my friend's daughter got blood poisoning from a spider bite. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I, I can tell you stories like that, but I, I think everybody knows that this was a difficult period and that we are all happy to move on to the rest of life and the rest of 2019. Yes, definitely. And there are some nice things around the corner as all the planets start moving into Leo here at the beginning of August. So we will get to that in just a second. Any other pre-show chat stuff that we need to mention? Um, I mean, the one thing, like, because we flew with our cats just a couple of days after Mercury went retrograde. So, of course, that was a bit of a nervous Nelly. And, of course, um, you know, Mercury's retrograde with Mars in Leo, which is sixth house for me. So I'm, you know, on high alert. What's going to be going on with these cats in the plane? So we did actually have the pla- the cats in the cabin with us. They were like our cabin luggage. They were under the seat in front of us. Um, but actually everything went really smoothly. We had a tiny snafu with the paperwork when we were checking into the flight where they just couldn't find the second receipt because when you bring a cat onto a plane, you've got to pay for it. They weren't interested in any of the health documents or vet checks. They're like, we just want to make sure that you've paid for both of these cats and, you know, there was just a, a little hiccup while they found that. And then the funniest thing was when we landed in Belgium, we're going through customs and immigration control. And we're carrying, we've got, you know, the cats in soft carriers, one on, you know, my husband's got one, I've got another. And uh, we go up, we give them our passports. They're babbling to my husband in French because it's French speaking and I don't speak French. And they didn't ask anything about the cats. They didn't even comment that we hadn't. There was just literally nothing required and off we went. So it was like phenomenal the fact that, 
you know, humans, like if you don't have a Canadian or an American passport and you enter America, there's fingerprinting and scanning of all kinds of like eyes and things. But we were able to bring our cats into another country with not even a stamp on a piece of paper. Interesting. Right, well, in Australia, like they're really stringent about that. Oh, yeah. And, like, vegetables, right? Australia and England, because they're self-contained environments because they're islands. Yeah, they mm-hmm. have hugely um, high quarantine laws. Like if you bring a pet, a domestic pet into Australia, uh, you have to have your pet into quarantine for anywhere from two weeks to six weeks, depending on where it's coming from. So, yeah, cause someone's asking what airline. We were on a Brussels airline flight. There, Funnily enough, there are a lot of airlines that will – fly pets. I guess there's a certain length of flight. The flight we were on was just under eight hours. Um, and the reason that we understood the pets were allowed in the cabin is the weight of the pet. So small dogs and cats, they just said, yep, they'll go in the cabin with you. There wasn't even any discussion. Yeah. So we, we actually had a, a cat situation. Oh, you as guys well. did. Not a good one though. <laughs> yeah. The, um, the, the day that the movers came to throw everything in the truck, uh, our cat ran away. And so we looked for him, looked for him, and then came back uh, a couple days later. And we thought he'd run outside because he does that. And we were looking around outside, et cetera, et cetera. And I went inside and I was looking around and doing some stuff. And I heard a meowing from under the floor. And he had gotten into the crawl space underneath the floor and then had gotten bored. Um, And I, I went to the access point and grabbed him. But yeah, I was underworld cat trouble that took about three days to figure out literally underground and how's he settling into the new place because cats really don't like moving their castles he likes it he likes the new place quite a bit excellent the um the the master bedroom is the only thing on the top floor and so there's a landing and he can kind of look out over at everything and you know cats like to Cats like to have the that that superior position, right? They look, to, yeah. they like to look down on things, and so I think he's pleased that he can survey much of his domain without being surveyed himself. Yes, well, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. So you guys are all otherwise getting settled, and it'll be interesting. Hopefully, a month from now, do you think in a month you guys will be both be relatively settled? I hope so. Okay. Yeah. I'll be settled or mildly alcoholic. I'm not sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it takes a while. When we when we last moved, we had all the main stuff done within a couple of weeks, but there were some things that were a few months before we got around to. Yeah. I mean, it took me a while to get settled into the new place. Yeah. How uh, long here. did it take you? I don't know. A few months. Because then we started traveling and going to like Norwalk, and then I went to Europe and then I came back and then I flew to L- uh, another LA thing recently for an interview, which I can't talk about yet, but will maybe come out later in the month of August. And I'll announce that when that's out. All right. So let's, we're about to- I love that we're talking, time to tr- moving with cats with the Mercury Retro and Leo. Yeah. yeah. That's hilarious. So let's transition to the forecast. Um, before that, we have to get some of our news and announcements out of the way really quickly. Mm-hmm. So let's let's bang that out. So Kelly, what do you have coming up this month? So August, I have a webinar for Astrology University on Saturday, August 10th, not August 11th, August 10th on activate your ascendant midheaven. So it's about how to work with the main points to do with identity and life direction. So that'll just be a Saturday webinar that you can sign up for via my website. Which is kellysastrology.com. Yes, exactly. Sorry. Thank you. 
brilliant. Austin, what do you have coming up? Well, uh, I have an 11-week class, which begins on August 8th, um, which is on tarot and astrology. We'll be looking at the uh, <clears throat> the cards and the writer. Tarot and astrology. Tell me more about that. Well, so the um, the cards have been assigned astrological connections in most decks. I'll be looking at the <coughs> Rider Waite Smith system, which I've used for twenty years, and just sort of building the bridge between. Okay, so for example, the the chariot is connected to Cancer. How do those connect, right? Because there, it's not just a symbol. It's not just a picture of a crab. There's a relationship between the tarot and astrology, but they're not identical. And so I'll be spending some time going over every single card and building that bridge. And then also looking at um, practical things you can do, um, practical ways, uh, how the cards that come up in a reading can reference chart positions and how to illustrate a chart using uh, cards. So that begins on August 8th, and that's going to be every Thursday for about uh, almost three months. Awesome. And where can people find out about it? At my website, austincopic.com. And then as far as electional work for Sphere and Sundry, the skies have not been too juicy over the last two months. And so there's nothing there's nothing percolating right now, but August, as we're going to get to, has some nice moments. And so um, Sphere and Sundry fans can look forward to some, some, some tasty offerings in September. Brilliant. Yes. I'm excited to see what uh, Sphere and Sundry will be rolling out after some of, August. Some of them you will expect. Some of them you'll be like, oh, how did I miss that? Oh, I like it. Throwing down the gauntlet. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. All right. Um, as for myself, uh, as I announced last month, the price of my courses, like my course on ancient Hellenistic astrology, is being raised August 1st. So that will have gone up already by the time most people listen to this. But if you're listening to this before August 1st, and if you want to get in before the course price raises, uh, you can still do so before the first of the month. Um, the, even after the first of the month, the course is still like priced relatively reasonably because it has over 100 hours of audio with hundreds of example charts. And it takes you from the basics of ancient astrology all the way through intermediate and advanced techniques so that you come out of it knowing how to read birth charts pretty effectively, I have to say. You can find out more information about that at courses.theastrologyschool.com. Uh, so that's one thing. Um, our electional report that I did with Lisa, where we picked out one of the best electional charts for each month for all 12 months of the year. Since we're already into August, we've discounted that heavily. So you can get that for a way discounted price at just doing a Google search for 2019 Electional Astrology Report. And you'll find that on my website at chrisbrennanastrologer.com. Um, also, since we're almost finished with, or over halfway through the year, uh, the Astrology Podcast 2019 Astrology Calendar Poster Bundle on Amazon, we've got about 70 of those posters left, and then that's it, it for those posters. So uh, that's heavily discounted at this point because I'm just trying to get rid of the rest of the stock. So it's like ten or twelve dollars for three posters, which is a pretty good deal. So do a Google search for 2019 astrology calendar poster bundle, and you'll find that on Amazon. Other stuff to mention in passing: the NCGR conference is coming up at the very end of August. So the last, I want to say, the last big astrology conference of the year. Is the NCGR conference happening in Baltimore 
uh, from August 30th to September 3rd, so Labor Day weekend in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, I'm going to be there. Lisa Scheim's going to be there. There's going to be a bunch of other astrologers giving lectures and workshops there. You can find out more information about it at geocosmic.org. Other conferences coming up, the ESAR conference next year in September of 2020. So it's a long ways away, but some of the schedule for that is being finalized. And we are tentatively able to announce that Austin and Kelly and I are going to be doing a pre-conference workshop there at that conference, which is really exciting. It's going to be the first time the three of us have done a full workshop together. And um, yeah, I'm excited about announcing more details for that pretty soon. Yeah, that's amazing. That's going to be so yeah. much fun. Yeah, I can't believe we have to wait a whole year. Yeah, that's kind of annoying, but it's going to be here in Denver, which I'm excited about. So people be able to visit my home state. Maybe people can visit the Mercury Cafe, where which has appeared in some of the podcast videos recently, like the Eclipse one. Um, and there'll be lots of other fun stuff. So it's time to start getting excited about that conference, which is definitely going to be the biggest conference next year. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that's it for news and announcements. Why don't we transition into talking about the astrological forecast for August of 2019? All right. All right. Let's do it. So, so let's start out actually with the artwork for August that uh, Paula Bellomini made for us. And this is initially just the sort of the ingresses and the lunations and the retrograde stations or direct stations for the month of August. Can you guys see that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So this That's is the good. brief sort of glimpse or brief overview. We've got a new moon at the beginning of the month in Leo, then a full moon in Aquarius, then one of those rare months where there's another new moon, which takes place in Virgo at the end of the month. We've got Jupiter stationing direct finally in Sagittarius, Uranus stationing retrograde in Taurus, Mercury going into Leo, actually most of the planets going into Leo at this point in the year and trining Jupiter. Uh, then later in the month, everything starts shifting into Virgo. You can see Mars go in first, then Venus, then the Sun, then Mercury. So that's kind of the very broad overview of the month. And here's the transit chart with all of that superimposed on a 12-sign zodiac wheel. So you can show, see not where just where those lunations are, not just where the lunations are, but also sort of the movement of the planets where they start at the beginning of the month and where they'll end up by the end of the month. All right. So where do you guys want to start? Should we start at the top of the month, top of August? Yeah, well let's start uh let's start out with the with the transition into August, which bookends the configurations which really started at the beginning of June. Um the end of the meat grinder, as it were. All right. I'll throw up the Solar Fire chart. So everybody always asks me each month what program I'm using. I'm using the program Solar Fire, which is usually for PCs, although they've got a Mac version coming out later this year. If you live in North America, I think you can buy it through Astrolabe or Alabe.com, and they've given us the promo code AP15 to get a discount on the program. So this is the chart for right now, but let's move it forward a few days to August 1st. There we go. All right. So nice. transition point. You're saying we're at the transition point. We're moving out of the meat grinder. We're moving out of the astrology of June and July, which was very dominated by the, the Cancer Capricorn axis, I feel like. Yeah. Right. And so the last day of July is the new moon in Leo. And mm-hmm. that's our first non-eclipsed lunation since uh since the since June. 
right? So we're moving out of the eclipse cycle. And, you know, eclipses aren't done um, the second they're over. At the very, to a, you can extend, you can extend the the time frame. What, what uh, was that, Kelly? <laughs> um, I have all this cardboard boxing to help with uh, like soundproofing, and I guess my cats were trying to get in behind it and just knocked it all over. <laughs> okay. Sorry well, about that, Austin. Oh, it's okay. Um, I was just saying, um, at the very least, to get out of the the feel of eclipse season, you need a, a non eclipse lunation, right? So August begins on the heels of our first non-eclipse lunation in a while. And the last day of July also holds Mercury's direct station. So August begins out, finally out of the eclipses and with a direct Mercury. Um, yeah. And so that's a pretty big transition in and of itself. Yeah, I love that. That's like starting fresh in two different ways, like starting out with a new moon in Leo. It looks like it's at eight degrees of Leo and starting out with Mercury stationing direct in Cancer and completing the three-week Mercury retrograde cycle. Yeah, and so, so you know, already we have um, on on August first, we have uh, the Sun and Mars and Venus all in Leo, right? And so, as far as excuse me, sign emphasis, you know, we had a lot of Cancer Capricorn, and. This sets the stage for a lot of Leo, which will be followed later in the month by a lot of Virgo. Yeah, it's a lot of a lots. Uh, it, there is this really fresh feeling, and I'm glad we did go back to July 31st because that new moon not being a, an eclipse really does break the pattern of the eclipse energy. And the fact that Mercury stationing direct, you know, as the last planet, like the last man standing in the Cancer Capricorn axis, you know, from the temporary planets, it really feels like when we get to August 1st, there's just so much freshness coming through. Definitely. So emerging emerging from a turbulent period where there's like a lot of tension, a lot of delays, and a lot of, for some people, like important or pivotal turning points and both important new beginnings as well as some significant endings. Um, yeah, and then emerging out into a fresh new cycle of lunations and a fresh new cycle of Mercury moving forward and no longer being in that phase of like delays, but instead coming out the other end and sort of rectifying that which had gone awry previously. Yeah, literally um, being in the position where the the much delayed whatever is finally arriving, whether it's your book or Kelly's packages. Right, Mercury yeah. is moving forward again. Thank goodness. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that book, and I hope it is up, not upside down and backwards this time. If it's a, just like backwards or one of them, I'll be fine with it. But if it's both upside down and backwards, that's a little too much. That's just classic. And may the dishwasher repairman arrive with the right equipment. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, if God wills. Um, it's worth noting, though, this isn't, um, although there are some new and fresh things, we also have, um, you know, we also have Venus at the very, uh, in, in most traditional or most, yeah, most mm. historical argue, the authors would say at the very end of Venus's cycle, yeah. Venus is no longer the morning star, nor is has Venus risen as the evening star. Uh, we have, uh, we have a, an invisible Venus all month. And uh, Mars is also just barely visible, if at all, all month. 
And so part of, you know, part of Venus and Mars traveling through Leo with the sun is, uh, is them being under the beams or properly combust pretty much all month. Um, and so this, this is, you know, it, I was thinking about this last night. It's sort of like coming out of the, you know, coming out of whatever the, the, the gauntlet or wormhole the last uh, two months have uh, outlined for us. There are some things which need to change. It's an end in the beginning of a new cycle, which is what Venus is, in this case, superior conjunction to the sun, which is pending all month and uh, is perfect uh, in the middle of the month. But, you know, Venus is Venus is being burnt up. Uh, as is Mars, right? And so that's the the burning up of one cycle and the seeding of a new cycle. And this, you know, this this new cycle with Venus gets seeded in the solar fire of Leo. And so a lot of people are going to see relational patterns changing, or relational patterns sort of getting done and then needing to be, you know, seeded or renegotiated. That that combustion of Venus isn't always super pleasant, especially when Venus is going into combustion. It's not the, it's not like an out and out malefic party, like some of what we've been seeing. Um, but it is, it's a, it's coming up on a transition point in terms of how we relate to things and people. Yeah. And it looks like that goes exact August 14th is the exact sun Venus mm-hmm. conjunction at 21 degrees and 11 minutes of Leah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just before the full moon in Aquarius. And it's a really great point that you're making there, Austin, because, you know, Venus invisible, it, it's quite a few weeks. I think it's about six weeks that she's invisible, is it? Um, between the switch from um, AM to PM star. And it does sort of have these subtle themes of introspection, reflection, that kind of quiet inner space without the heaviness of what we've had in June and July, but there is something hasn't, you know, become visible yet. If you like, I think we've got to wait till September for that. Yeah. And this is, um, so Venus conjoins the sun like Mercury in two different circumstances. One is the retrograde circumstance in which Venus is between us and the sun. And then the circumstance that we're coming up on in August is when Venus is on the far side of the sun and we're often referred to as the superior conjunction. And so what, whereas the, 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 the point where Venus is between us and the sun, the retrograde is deeply personal, right? It's close. This is the, this is literally the opposite point in the cycle where we're as far away from Venus as we get. And the sun is between us and Venus. And so there is, a you know, this, this part of the cycle favors rather than the personal, the universal significations of Venus, right? Like, you know, um, love, not the chocolate cake, but love God. Um, (laughs) (laughs) that's great. So So that's the start of the month. Yeah, no, that's the entire month. Well, no, no, but we were just talking about the July 31st stuff as well. Yes. Yeah. So w- one of the things I love about the beginning of August, especially for electional purposes, is um, that for so long everything was moving through Cancer, and all the inner planets were moving through Cancer, like the Sun and Mercury and Venus, uh, and also Mars. And so everything was getting caught up in. Of course, we had the the eclipses in Cancer and Capricorn, but also while everything was going through 
those signs, it was getting caught up in this opposition between Saturn and Pluto in the south node in Capricorn, and then Mars opposing that from Cancer. So this Mars-Saturn-Pluto opposition that was bouncing back and forth for most of June and July. And Jupiter over in Sagittarius, which has been retrograde for a while, was just like completely not involved in that party at all because it was over in Sagittarius, which doesn't really aspect Cancer and doesn't form a major aspect with Capricorn. So one of the things that's really beautiful about August is at the very top of the month, as soon as everything starts moving into Leo, it starts moving into these trines with Jupiter, which mm-hmm. is just a really a breath of fresh air compared to the really tense oppositions that we were dealing with between Mars and Saturn for most of the past couple of months. And I think that's what I'm looking forward to the most is not just everything being in Leo and everything and having that sense of starting a new cycle with the new moon there or with Mercury stationing direct, but just this pattern that we're going to see, especially in the first week or two of August of everything moving into this exact trine with Jupiter at 14 degrees-ish of Sag. Yeah, and not only that, but it's as Jupiter stations direct. Which yes, we, which we like. Definitely. Yes. Yeah, I mean, and the first of those aspects kicks off on August seven with the Sun forming the trine to Jupiter. And I know there's a you know there's other things going on, but the Sun in dignity, Jupiter in dig- dignity, so close to stationing direct. There's a real sense of um, I don't know, hope, optimism, perspective, possibility. It's a, the feeling I keep getting is this sense of looking to a far off horizon and feeling as though you could give that a shot. You're not necessarily going to do it all this week, but the feeling of these aspects with, as they come through and try and Jupiter is just, uh, more, I don't know, movement oriented, or there is that upbeat quality, which we just have not had for such a long time. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very much a, a rekindling of the the heroic and far seeing spirit. Yeah, right? emerging from the tunnel and you know looking out and saying, mm, looking out to perhaps the longer term goals which got temporarily occluded by the short term difficulties which needed to be navigated recently. It's like, mm. oh yeah, this is what I'm doing with my life. This is where I'm going. You know. Um, looking to the horizon and remembering at what point you want to be on that horizon. And, you know, and I think we can contextualize the Venus Mars combustions within that. Right. And that, you know, Mm. some of there, there needs to be because Venus and Mars are much more personal than the sun and Jupiter, right? They're, they're night planets, they're personal, they're relational. And so while the, the diurnal, uh, the diurnal and more objective planets, the sun and Jupiter are looking out to the horizon saying, I want to be this, I want to do this. It necessitates a bit of a a gear change on the personal level with Venus and Mars, right? Uh, You have to, we have to orient emotionally. Yeah. I like that. The optimism of the new is, I think the keyword. I'm getting from that in terms of having the newness of some of those cycles, the new moon in Leo, trying Jupiter, Mercury stationing direct, and then also Venus starting a new cycle in respect to its phase relationship with the sun and the optimism that comes with starting out a journey fresh versus the opposite scenario of like when you're already winding down a, a long journey. Yeah, I I yes. I I would um 
I guess I see it as getting back to the journey that yeah. you've been on all year, which is going to feel refreshing and new, but it's like, oh yeah, this is what I was doing, right? Because this is um, uh, Jupiter stations direct and this is Jupiter in a, um, this is this is the uh, the evening Jupiter phase rather than the morning Jupiter phase, which we had uh, December, uh, December through let's say, um, April last year. And so this is, we've, we've had Jupiter and Sag for a while. We've been aspiring. Things got complicated, but this is a like back to, back to the journey, back to the quest, back to the mission, you know, which can feel like waking up out of, um, <laughs> waking up out of, out of a, a, a very confusing set of dreams. Um, and you know, just on a time on a more macro timing level, so we have until December to yeah. Jupiter and Sag, right? Yes. We've got several months left. We can still do it. The things which haven't quite gotten done, which we wanted to do, like we've got time. And this is yeah, remembering it, that. Rem remind yourself, because it is, it's like go big or go home between now and December with anything Jupiter and Sag related. Well, and what's and nice now in this part of the year, now we're going to have Jupiter direct again, which we haven't had for several months. And also over the course of the past month or so, um, with the Sagittarius rising charts where Jupiter's in the first house and it's the ruler of the ascendant, ever since the sun moved into like the later part of Gemini, we've been able to get Sagittarius rising charts as day charts. Um, and I've really noticed the qualitative difference where some of those Sagittarius rising elections have just been hitting really well over the course of the past month or so. I've really been enjoying um, seeing how well that works out and realizing that part of the difference there is probably that switch in sect where for several months earlier this year, you could do Sagittarius rising charts, but they were night charts so that mm -hmm. Jupiter was, was contrary to the sect and it wasn't quite as positive or quite as benefic as it could be. But that shift over the course of the past month or month and a half has been really noticeable to me in terms of starting different things and using Sag rising charts for elections. Yeah, that's great. And that's um uh, that's where you see some of the some of the you know for example the some of the synodic details where you're like oh yeah that's the evening Jupiter and you're like yeah I guess but you can see it during the day try to find Jupiter rising and mm. uh, try to find a chart with Jupiter rising you're like oh the sun's below the horizon for months and months right yeah so speaking of that that brings us and I might as well introduce at this point our one auspicious electional chart. So the most auspicious electional chart that we could find for the month of August, uh, and this was found by Lisa Scheim. We actually found this way back in like December when we did the 2019 uh, yearly report where we tried to find the best electional chart uh, we could for each month of the year. And this is the one that really stood out as like the best chart in August. And I think all the astrologers are going to be, this is going to be one of those days where I noticed in social media over the past year or two where Suddenly, you mysteriously see like all the astrologers scrambling to announce and like mysteriously launching new projects all on the same day. Um, I think this is going to be one of those days because this chart just stands out as so uh, positive and so auspicious. So, this is the chart uh, that Lisa came up with. It's for August 9th, 2019, um, at roughly around 3:40 p.m. Let's say local time. So, whatever city you're in. Set the chart around 3:40 p.m. and adjust it so that the ascendant is in around the middle degrees of Sagittarius. So what you'll end up with is a chart that has Sagittarius rising, 
and Jupiter is in Sagittarius in the first house, and Jupiter is actually only about a day and a half from stationing direct. So for all intents and purposes, this is a stationary Jupiter that's stationing direct and beginning to move forward. Uh, this is a day chart, so Jupiter is of the sect in favor and is fully benefic. It's in its own domicile. It's ruling the first and the fourth houses. And we find the moon there with Jupiter at around, at least in our time zone, around 13 degrees of Sagittarius, applying to a conjunction with Jupiter. So this is really just one of the best Jupiter charts of the year in terms of taking advantage of Jupiter moving through Sagittarius and being in its home sign. This is one of the best charts that where you can really squeeze the most out of that, just in terms of ticking off all of the possible boxes of what you would look for for a great Jupiter electional chart. Um, it also has some other positive things, like Venus is over at 15 degrees of Leo, so it's trining the Moon and Jupiter pretty closely. Uh, it's not a terrible, terrible chart for financial matters. It has Saturn in its own domicile in a day chart in the second whole sign house, so not potentially going to be. Good very quickly, but especially in the long term, financial matters might be decent with this chart. Not a great chart to some extent for ninth house matters like travel uh, with Mars in the ninth whole sign house in a day chart, although even that's a little bit negotiable or a little bit mitigated because the Sun and Venus are there in the ninth and the Sun is trining Jupiter as the ruler of the ninth house. So it's like there's a difficult planet in the house, but the ruler is doing somewhat okay. So it's a little bit mixed. Finally, Mercury is direct and it's in the eighth house. We tried to mitigate it because it's in the eighth house by in our location making it so the degree of the midheaven was at 27 degrees of Virgo, sextiling Mercury, which helps it out of that eighth house position to not manifest in the more challenging ways, but instead to be a bit more constructive. So with this chart, we'd recommend just setting it for anywhere in Sagittarius rising in your location and trying to get the midheaven so that it's aspecting Mercury within three degrees. In order to mitigate that eighth house placement. And that is our electional chart for the month of August. We found uh, three or four other electional charts that we're going to, we presented, we recorded for an episode of the Auspicious Elections podcast, which I'm releasing to Patreons through our, patrons through our page on Patreon uh, later today, I believe. So if you want to get the other electional charts, you just have to subscribe to that on the five or ten dollar tier and you'll get access immediately. So, did have you guys already seen this this electional chart? Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. good one. I think pretty much all the astrologers have. This is actually going to be like Ben Dykes has a new book coming out, which is a translation of Abu Mashar's full work on solar returns from the Arabic. It's a big, thick book. Uh, I actually got a pre publication copy right here that I'm reading because we're going to do Ooh. an interview. About that, and then we're going to release both. The book is going to be published, and we're going to release the interview simultaneously on this date on August 9th. So that is something to look forward to, and not, that's already like one instance of astrologers like doing something major on this electional chart. That's lovely. I'll be um, on holidays in Paris on this Very week. Very nice. Nice. Yeah. Which was a re totally random thing. My girlfriend from Australia is going to be in England for a wedding, and she's like, "Well, I'll come and visit you guys." And I'm like, "Okay, I'll take a few days off work." And where do you want to go? And she's like, "I can go to Paris any day of the week and twice on Sundays." I'm like, "Let's go to Paris." So uh, we might be out in the world, but I'm sure I'll have um, whole things scheduled. <laughs> so you can have, yeah. What I'm sure, and Austin, you don't want to say anything about stuff you guys might have up your sleeve. 
Um, well, I am starting my my astrology and tarot class right around here. Oh, I'm yeah, doing, yeah, so I, oh yeah, you're doing yeah. it on the eighth. Yeah. yeah, which is still Moon and Jupiter and such. Yeah, and I meant yes. to mention Lisa uh, asked me to mention, so it's a good reminder that for some people, if you're living, there may be certain time zones where you can't get the Moon still applying to Jupiter, and if the Moon's separating from Jupiter, just back the chart up by a day. And for some people, you can do August eighth around the same time period with Sagittarius rising, and the Moon will still be in Sag, still applying to that conjunction with Jupiter, just a little bit more widely. Well, yeah, and that's on a Thursday too, which just gives it a nice little boost. Jupiter's day. Yeah, yep, it's a nice, uh, it's a nice pair of days. I see what you did there, Austin. Oh yeah, <laughs> Kelly's <laughs> picking up on the subtle planetary days that Austin is dropping. Okay. So this is the beginning of August. It's just all everything moving through Leo, everything trining Jupiter, Jupiter stationing direct, and everything being good. We have the lunation, of course. We have that first lunation we mentioned, which is the new moon in Leo at the very top of the month. Mercury in moving direct eventually finally gets out of Cancer, which is almost amazing. That's uh, like dude, that's like the end, the absolute end of the hangover of the meat grinder, I think. That yeah. is the final the, grasp, uh, gasp, last gasp of the meat grinder is Mercury moving out of Cancer and moving into Leo. Yeah, there's there's a little digging out after Mercury's direct for that first week or so, you know, which is which is even though it may be dealing with the same topics that July's retrograde dealt with, it'll be on the solution side mm -hmm. rather than the like, oh no, not this again. It'll be like, oh, and that's finally fixed. And oh, the, you know, whatever the dishwasher man finally came or, oh, the, the new desk I ordered is finally here or whatever it is. Yeah, that's a really good point because it looks like all the way until about August 14th, August 15th, that's about how long it takes before Mercury leaves its shadow. It's, yeah. 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 So it, it originally stationed retrograde at four degrees of Leo conjunct Mars. So it'll finally return back to that point and then we'll complete that entire sort of sequence of events around August 14th, August 15th, which interestingly and curiously is also right about the same time as that Sun-Venus conjunction we were talking about earlier and the full moon in Aquarius, which looks like it takes place at about, what, 22 degrees of Aquarius? 22, yeah. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. So that is our second lunation of the month is the full moon in Aquarius. So that's a pivotal turning point this month, right, right in the middle of the month around August 14th, August 15th, that Full moon in Aquarius, Mercury completing and leaving its shadow and completing the full retrograde cycle, and then finally the Sun-Venus conjunction. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big one. Okay. All right. Well, that looks good. And After I mean, sorry, I was going to say the relatively benign full moon too. When you think back to the last full moon we had being the eclipse, this one, of course, is off axis to anything happening in Saturn. With with Capricorn, sorry. So it's just a little bit of a, I mean, full moons can full moons can still be a little emotional, but this one is, uh, yeah, relatively benign. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it looks like Uranus has just stationed retrograde at six degrees of Taurus as well around August twelfth. So that's as far as Uranus is going to get in this pass is up to about six and a half degrees of Taurus before it stations retrograde here and begins moving back to the earlier degrees of Taurus over the course of the next few months. Yes, it's going to come all the way back to two degrees at the end of the year or early Jan. 
too. Okay. Yeah, so there's just there is a little shift with Uranus going retrograde this month. So those of us with stuff more towards the middle of fixed signs can breathe a sigh of relief that that's as far as it gets on this path, but next year, early next year, it's going to get further than that. Yes. Yeah, and those of us with planets at two fixed can <laughs> go back to gritting our teeth. Yeah. And those of us with planets at zero fixed are like whew. <laughs> it's it's so funny but i mean you see this even with client work too it's like oh you're in this band so you're on the 2020 uranus track or you're on the 2022 uranus track basically just depending on where in the fixed signs you know how far into it your planets are yeah when is uranus going to station closely conjunct or squaring or opposing your planets by degree yeah. yeah. Well, and I treat, you know, because of Uranus's sort of broad wiping through the years, um, you know, Uranus transits are, you know, they're a year and a half, two year long mm -hmm. phases. Because it's like, you know, if you look at a given chart and be like, oh, it's five degrees away. And then you look six months later and you're like, oh, it's one degree before the planet rather than after it. Um, yeah. You know, it, they're, 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 they're much more like phases than they are moments. You know, it's not like, you know, like with our meat grinder, for example, it's like that's not going to happen again, mm -mm. right? That was that was a a, a brief pileup of things. Um, whereas Uranus will just kind of, <clears throat> I was going to say lazily wipe back and forth, but it's not really it's not really <laughs> nothing lazy, lazy about Uranus. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, especially if somebody has something at like if like your sun is at like six degrees of Taurus or something like that. I mean, if it's stationing right on top of some personal planet, that could be. A, a turning point when when the planet does station, yeah. But it, it and it's but it's a turning point within a longer process because if it stations right. at six, it's probably going to come back a couple more times. Yeah, yeah, it's back at six in April 2020, and again later in the year, like December 2020, January 2021. Nice eye, that was quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's I mean that I have been doing consults over the last little while, so. Um, yeah. And that's but that's what you mean about a phase, Austin, is it does yeah. it's it's building you into it and maybe you get a pause, but then you're coming back because it's it's not something that you're done with just in a couple of months. Yeah, it's it's much like the eclipses in yeah. the sense that, you know, yes, that's an eclipse on your rising or whatever, but it's one of a series um that's gonna run for a year and a half. Yeah. 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 And it's funny, you you do see there are certain degrees that get the year and a half, and there are some degrees that just get the nine month Uranus transit if there's mm -hmm. no station involvement, basically. Sorry, Chris, what you, I cut you off there. I was just going to say that was something that came up with the eclipse workshop that we did earlier this month, which is just while sometimes there's a pivotal event or turning point that coincides with an astrological transit of some sort or an activation, oftentimes so much of timing in astrology has to do with cycles and like periods of transition and change which rarely happen overnight usually there's like mm -hmm. a it's like a process oriented or timing in astrology is process oriented and that's why it's so important to like talk with a client about the sequence of events during different parts of their life and what they were going through during that time and there's this interesting like process that's involved in feedback which helps you to sharpen your understanding as the astrologer and be able to get into more specifics by having this sort of dialogue with them about processes that they were going through different during different time periods. 
Mm-hmm, definitely. Oh, yes. Yeah, I mean, I do want to give a shout out to all of our listeners who have their moons in the middle of the cardinal signs who are getting the Saturn transits. I've just mm. had a number of clients recently that have got moons at like 15, 16 of Aries, Libra, Cancer, Capricorn that are getting very heavily triggered by Saturn. But that's very specific to that part of the sky for 2019. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They get definitely. to hand that baton off shortly. Yeah. yeah. All right, so let's transition into the second half of the month. We have the Sun Venus conjunction. Yeah, it's time. It's time to get into the details. So, uh, Sun Venus conjunction on the fourteenth, full Moon in Aquarius on the fifteenth. Then we transition. There's like a very stark difference between like the first half of the month and the second half, because we get our first change when Mars moves out of Leo and ingresses into Virgo on August. 18th, and that's the first in like a series of planets that all then pile up and move very close, roughly around the same time from Leo into Virgo. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the Virgo week, Sun, sorry, Mars, Venus, the Sun. It, it's just so much. We're going to have all the personal planets by the time we get to the new moon in Virgo. Uh, all of the personal planets are in Virgo for a couple of days at the end of the month. So it's like right. cooling down. You know the the qualities of of Leo being hot and dry versus the qualities of Virgo being cold and dry. There's still the dryness, so there's still that you know potential for order or organization, which of course is associated with the sign of Virgo, but it is associated with the dry quality. So that's going to intensify. But I think if you're finding the excess of of fire stuff or the excess of Jupiter in the first half of the month a little extra or a little too much, then when we get to this Virgo period in the second half of the month. There will just be like a toning down, turning down the heat or turning down the temperature, which can allow you to slow the pace down a little bit. I don't know if you guys sure, disagree yeah. or, or see. No, that. I mean, that definitely makes sense. Um, and, and for some people, it depend like, is mm. your chart more fixed sign heavy, in which case the Leo stuff is maybe going to be the more active part of the month for you versus once it moves into Virgo, you know, things are going to calm down versus if you have much more mutable chart. Um, if mutable signs are more heavy uh, emphasized in your chart, like Gemini, Virgo, Sagittarius, Pisces, then everything moving into Virgo is going to be potentially like an amping up of things becoming more active for you in the second part of the month. Yeah, I don't really associate Virgo with calm or slow. No, but you it, it's not calm for sure because it's it's potentially highly anxious or highly like excessive thinking. Well, but there's just a lot seems, to do. There's a lot to do, but it's more like in a measured, planned way relative to the way that Leo Fire um, sure, right. would go about it. I guess. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely more fact and task oriented. Mm. The word so, I've been using um, when I've been looking at August for my monthly subscribers is productive. You know, it's time to turbocharge productivity to get the most done in the most efficient way. Yeah, to drill down. Yeah. Yeah, Leo, yeah. you know, with that solar, um, if we're talking about how the sun gets things done, you know, it's very, the sun delegates and um, describes like what the uh, like uh how should we say almost like ceo style like we're all yeah. we're moving in this direction you know there's a lot of like we were talking about earlier there's a lot of like vision and direction between the sun and jupiter during the leo portion 
but then the Virgo is like, eh, is logistics, right? Like, and how does this get done and yeah. have all the things on the list gotten done? Yes. And who's doing them and in what order and do we have the tools yep. and can we make the system more efficient and what's the process? Uh, yeah. And I always think too, when Mars changes signs, you know, we only get Mars in each zodiac sign once every two years. So, you know, this Mars in Virgo piece, which is sort of a bit extra on the annual Sun, Virgo, Mercury, um, sorry, Sun, uh, Mercury and Venus in Virgo. It, it does, it's a sort of a more unique thing to have Mars in Virgo. It's not a game changer, but it's a little bit more, let's tackle this part of our chart, for instance, wherever your Virgo house is. We need to make decisions. We need to get some things done here. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So it looks like, so we've got the 18th for Mars going into Virgo. Then Venus goes into Virgo on the 21st. And shortly after that, we have the sun, of course, making its annual ingress into Virgo on the 23rd of August. And then eventually Mercury catches up right about the same time that the moon does. And Mercury goes into Virgo on the 29th of August. And then the moon follows suit shortly after that. And the very next day on August 30th, we have our last lunation of the month, which is a new moon at six degrees of Virgo. So we have what is unquestionably a large stellium in Virgo of five planets. A very Virgo 48 hours. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and the way, because you're right, Chris, like Mercury goes into Virgo and the moon comes in after. So we're going to have a moon Mercury conjunction in Virgo. Of course, we have the moon sun, that's the new moon, but then we'll also get a moon Venus and a moon Mars conjunction in Virgo. So it's very, it's a very active 48 hours with the moon just triggering all those planets there. Yeah. Um, yeah, really activating them quite nicely. So that's pretty cool looking then. We got a big emphasis on Virgo and Mercury really completing that whole thing by returning to its home sign at that point and moving direct, not retrograde. It's not going to go retrograde in Virgo this month. So that's nice. One other little mention, just a little extra for this week, because Uranus has stationed uh, retrograde at six Taurus, this last week of August has a series of trines from the planets hitting six Virgo to just trine Uranus in mm -hmm. Taurus. Um, so we get like Monday, we have Venus trine Uranus. Wednesday, we have Mars. Uh, Thursday, we have the sun. And then the new moon itself will be in trine to Uranus. So there is a very... I know it seems almost um, incongruous to put Virgo and Uranus in the same sentence in the way the symbols of that sign and that planet work, but there is a lot of activity tying uh, Taurus and Virgo together in that last week of August. That's a really good point, and I like that because that's actually different than something we skipped over a little bit about all, the nice thing about everything going into Leo and then trining Jupiter is we kind of uh, Skip to the part where like everything has to go through a square with Uranus in Taurus first while it's going through early Leo, whereas in the second half of the month when everything starts moving into Virgo, we get this these nice trines between the Virgo planets and Uranus in early Taurus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, certainly less less disruptive and more like innovative or more creative in a positive way. Yeah, I'm really curious to see how that stimulates things. Like Uranus can help the Virgo over analytical, like get moving, but the Virgo, the planets in Virgo can kind of say, well, if you want me to throw things up in the air, we need an outcome. We need a, a, some sort of output that we can say we've made, we've, the chaos we've created was worth it or it led to something. Right. Yeah, 
I think with those trines, there's going to be a lot of executing Mm. on big changes that were decided earlier in the year with, uh, with Uranus in Taurus or cleaning up um, big changes that happened earlier in the year. Yeah. I like the way I like the cleanup because I think that, you know, it's like cleaning up with a twist or doing it in a way that you hadn't expected, but is maybe better than you could have planned. Yeah. Or maybe, <laughs> or maybe not. Maybe it's just a bit, it's, it's a, it feels like a lot of, um, you know, stimulation that week. Yeah. Well, there's, um, to a certain degree with Uranus, uh, you know, we do experiments, um, yeah. where we, whether we call them experiments or not, you know, we make a change and we don't know exactly what the outcome is going to be. We take a leap and then, you know, we deal with the, the data coming in from making those changes. And those Virgo planets are, are well placed to, you know, clean up where it needs to be cleaned up or make adjustments or, you know, um, build in, uh, build in or course correct or, you know, whatever, like the, um, you know, the Mercury ruledness of Virgo makes it in many ways, uh, in, to my mind, very compatible with Uranus. You know, to a certain degree, Uranus is the mad scientist and Mercury is the lab tech, you know, that knows how, mm. <laughs> how to categorize the results. I love it. So it's a yeah. pretty interesting end to the month. Yeah, it's kind of a nice end to the month. I mean, all of this is much quieter in some ways than what we're coming out of, or at least a little bit less dramatic, uh, a little bit less tension, even if occasionally we run into stuff like the Uranus squares between the early Leo planets and Uranus, or Uranus stationing direct around the same time, and some of the sort of unexpected disruptions that that may bring. Yeah, it's otherwise nice moving into a somewhat quieter period of the year. Yeah, in many ways, it's more, um, again, there, there's sort of a personal invisible gear change because Venus and Mars are pretty much invisible this whole month. Whole you can month. maybe you can maybe see a little edge of Mars at the beginning of uh, of the month, but Mars isn't very bright. So it's it's gonna be basically invisible the whole month. So is Venus. And then by the end of the month, Mercury will also have joined uh, Venus and Mars in invisibility. And so, you know, we have all those personal planets, you know, hidden beneath the, uh, the golden skirts of the sun. And so Jupiter, you know, Jupiter is bright and direct and, you know, Uranus is stationing, but, you know, part of this clustering with the sun means that everything is, you know, beneath the veil. It's, it's, it's a little, little, little busy, busy underneath, but a little quieter on the outside. Definitely. Yeah. Like a duck, busy feet, calm on top. Sorry, is that, uh, should that be the title of this episode? Like uh, maybe. You, sorry, okay. what was the what was the duck analogy? So with the duck, they often say they look like they're just you know calmly meandering oh. through the water, but their little feet are paddling like crazy underneath to keep them moving. I like that's that. hilarious. Okay, I, I I didn't imagine a duck in water. I just imagined a duck and tried to oh. find <laughs> the the hidden action. Yeah, on the water, on the water. How they create them? Yeah, they look calm but uh, busy underneath. What What should my title for this episode be? Usually, I can only fit like one thing in, like Mercury retrograde in Leo or something. I think was one of the last ones, or you know, eclipses in Cancer Capricorn. Is there a single thing I can focus on, even if that's you know just one piece of what we actually ended up talking about? 
You could do Jupiter Station Direct or Sun Trine Jupiter and you could stick a word like luck or abundance or growth or progress in there if you want to okay. go on the positive. But Austin usually has really witty. I mean, he came up with the meat grinder. <laughs> All right. Jupiter Austin, Direct. Austin, Austin sometimes has sometimes. good things. It happens. Um, ooh, Kate, Kate recommends to me the light at the end. <laughs> oh, of the you cannot. <laughs> the, the light at the end of the sausage casing. <laughs> okay. I, um, I, I like that. That's very. I mean, it made um, me laugh, but I don't think that's going in the search engine. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to check off the like search engine optimization boxes that I'm looking for. Uh, but yeah. maybe it can be like a subtitle. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the main Caitlin. thing. I, I think stelliums. You know, that's the the one thing that's true all month. That's common. Stelliums, that's a great I like word. that. Yeah, Leo, Leo yeah. and Virgo stelliums. That, yeah, that that's great. Good. Yeah. I mean, because, like okay. you know, the sun always goes from Leo to Virgo during this period of time, but the weight of Leo and then Virgo is uh, greatly enhanced this year, right? It's like all the yes. Leo, all the Virgo. Well, and that's, yeah, I guess that's what I was trying to say earlier with the Mars involvement is that, you know, Mars is only there once every couple of years and Mars isn't always in a sign when the sun is there too. So it no. just feels like this double amp up both for Leo and for Virgo this year. Right. One, well, and, and, you know, wherever Mars goes, that's where, you know, that's where the battle is, right? That's yeah. where, that's where the work is. It's like, okay, there's, you know, that's where the call to action is. Yeah, six weeks of we got to work this. We got to make decisions. We got to do stuff. We can't faff around. We've got six weeks and we don't get it again for two years. So no faffing. Which is is in some cases a blessing, but um, <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, and you know, I, again, on a slightly longer term scale, you know, this is the this is the second half of the year. You know, the meat grinder was really the you know that was. It happened to be the middle time-wise, but it was yeah. also a dynamic that really separated first half and second half. And first half had its challenges, second half has its challenges, but you know, you have basically four more months of Jupiter and Sag. Right. Yeah, have at um, it. Have and at then, it. you know, um the December uh December is back into Capricorn land. Right. Um, I was just looking. That's when the next set of eclipses takes place as we get that solar eclipse on the 26th of December. Oh, it's the like, 25th in our time zone. It's Christmas Day. It depends Day. the time zones. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We get that, that eclipse Christmas goose. Nice. Yeah. But, and then just everything's in Capricorn. Yeah. Um, and, and in many ways, the it's almost like 2019 or how should we say the workable portion of 2019 ends the first week of December. And then we're in a transitional period where everything's in Capricorn and then we get 2020's shape coming out. Um, but this is, you know, this is the second half, like whatever, uh, whatever you haven't got to, whatever you want to get done. Like this is, this is, uh, you know, there's a little bit of head down, endure, do what needs to be done during this last two months. And now we're beginning. Okay. Now it's time to make progress again, get to where you need to get to, come back to your plans, you know, uh, click into phase three, you know, it's good. It's workable. Yeah. Definitely. There's a lot that you can do between now and that first week of December. Yeah. And, you know, no Mercury retrograde until November, um, no Venus retrograde. There's nothing, you know, there, there's that this seems, and that. That seems like a long time. That's fantastic. You're right. Well, it's yeah. because we're not even done with Mercury still retrograde. That's as true. We speak. I know. I'm like, there's been, <laughs> you know? there's been 
so much going on that I was like, oh my God, it is still retrograde. Um, yeah. It sort of feels like it's been retrograde forever, but it does. That's it. <laughs> that's not just me. Um, oh my lord, that's so interesting. But it is. It's a. It's a chilled month, August. Like it's. It's very different from June, July. So if you had a rough couple of months, there's a whole different cosmos. There's a whole different set of um, sky patterns coming through for August. Yeah, and like you said, with it, with uh, just the elemental qualities um, of being hot, it's uh, the nice way to say hot is warm. <laughs> yeah, but it's hot right now. Yeah, but there's also just some warmth on a on an, oh, a, yeah. on an emotional level, on like a spirit yes. level, especially yeah. with Jupiter. You know, Jupiter and Sag brings us that that temperate, temperate inspiring yeah. warmth. Um, yeah, and you know, there uh, even though it's been hot out. Um, the, it, it, it's been a little, it, it, I, I think for some people it's been frosty on an emotional level. It's like, okay, just cage up and get through it. And so there's a, you know, that Leo stuff is, it, it, it's, you know, it's warming on an internal level, which will be nice kind of getting back to the heart because sometimes you can't be heart centered. You have to be task centered, right? Yeah, no, that's actually, I misunderstood where you were going with that, Austin. And absolutely, the warmth. I, I think I was talking with my with a couple of girlfriends, like as soon as the sun went into Leo, you could start to feel just a little bit of that radiance coming in and um, like a, yeah, just the improvements began, you know, even though we're still dealing with some circumstances that are stressful. Yeah, I could feel that. I was like, oh, that's that's good. Yeah, that's nice. More of that, please. Yes. I'd like a second helping. Not to be uh, greedy, but I'll take it. All right. Um, I think that kind of brings us to the end of the forecast then, which I'm genuinely shocked by because we're only an hour and 30 minutes into this recording. So somehow we've done a sub two-hour episode for probably the first time in like two or three years. Ever. I mean, I did notice when I was putting my month together for August, there are just fewer astrological aspects happening, I think, this month as well. So in addition to them having a nicer or more uplifting or, you know, we can access them because there's more of that personal tone, there are just less things going on. Yeah. And the things that do happen are not extremely complicated. No, it's like this little thing will square that 48 hours done, or this thing's going to try and that feel good or whatever it happens to be. Right. And it's like, oh, where are the planets? They're in Leo and then they're in Virgo. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. All right. Well. So it is possible. We have shown that it is possible. <laughs> yeah. Um, are there any other like astrology related things or things that have happened in the community then worth mentioning or talking about briefly as we wrap wrap things up? I have a tiny little personal thing that's astro. Sure. Um, I did get invited back to speak at Norwalk in 2020. So I'll be attending that conference, which will be the other. It won't be as big as ESAR. It'll be on the other side of the country. But uh, I know for some people that'll be a little bit more doable. So that'll be um, end of May in Seattle, 2020. Awesome. Yeah, me too. Awesome. Oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah, I'll actually be giving a couple talks and a workshop there. Fantastic. You're giving a workshop. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to do, I think we're, I think I'm, if I've got people for that long, I think we're going to do all of the decans. Yeah. Uh, um, and then <gasps> some, some fun things you can do with decans. Fantastic. I was looking through, as I was packing my books, I was, oh God, what was it? 
Um, was it? Oh, it, it was Retorius. Um, Retorius has a section that is simply on what, um, I, uh, which decans, if you have Venus in them, make you a horrible, lustful monster. <laughs> and that's that's oh literally the that's all it is. It's these decans under these conditions, and you will be a lust monster of short description. And I was oh like, my gosh. you are going in uh, 36 Spaces oh, Volume 2. Volume and I will, 2. We will, of course, I will, of course, include, if I do end up doing that as a workshop, um, I couldn't uh, I couldn't leave out the, the Lust Monster placements. Oh, that sounds super interesting, Austin. I'm also doing a workshop, so I hope mine, I hope we're in at different times because I'd love to hear you for that long on the Deccans. That'd be amazing. It'll be fun. It'll just, you know, let's do all 36 and then talk about yeah. what we can do with them. I've done Fantastic. that once before as a workshop, and it was a lot of fun. Fantastic. Uh, and I'm excited about our workshop at the ESAR conference, which is going to be a pre-conference that Wednesday. And we're going to do, I think, a variation of this workshop I've wanted to do, the three of us, for a long time. And Austin and I did a test run at Norwak, which is synthesizing modern and ancient astrology. Uh, and I think we did a pretty good job of, of getting a feel for for how that would go when you and I did it, Austin. Uh, but this time, I want to make it bigger and better and add more visuals and have a lot more diagrams and stuff to show. And I think bringing you and Kelly is really going to complete the trifecta so that we can create the new synthesis that surely all astrologers will then adopt and start practicing <laughs> over, the, over the next century. Uh, I'm excited to teach with you guys. Um, we've been talking about it for such a long time, and I'm so happy that we're able to do it at a conference where we can have so many people joining us. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, that'll be awesome. No, it'll be great to to take what we learned from the first time and expand on this and do less of this and add a visual for that because it was it was huge and exploratory, and uh, I enjoyed it very much. But there, you know, the, it's a slightly ambitious topic. Chris? Slightly. <laughs> I mean, if yeah, that's... we're going to have to put some parameters in place to make it manageable. I think for me as a presenter, <laughs> yeah. I was like, "How are you, you guys like impress me so much with how you get through so much material?" Yeah, we covered a lot, so we'll have to work on that. But we've got a year to get it together, to and I think that. we can we can pull it off. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other fun social media things. There's one that's happening like right now over the past few days on Twitter. <gasps> and this was started by, I think it was started by Shakira Toborn. Who, who is, was on the call earlier, or maybe she's still here. Maybe she's still here. Are you still here, Shakira? Uh, so she started a thing where she recorded a video of herself writing out the astrological glyphs on a piece of paper. And now a bunch of people are are doing the same and posting how they write the glyphs. Because while there's Obviously, a standardization. There's also a lot of variation in just how exactly you can write them out. But I really love this because this is one of the first things that I feel like every astrologer should do is memorize and learn how to write the symbols for the planets and the signs of the zodiac. Well, yeah. And I want to say, Austin, you and I have given a lot of love to the Mercury Venus aspect as an artistic signature in previous episodes. Just mm -hmm. the, and this happened on the Mercury retrograde conjunct Venus aspect. It mm -hmm. was Wednesday, I think, of last week or just a this few days week. ago. This mm -hmm. week. <laughs> I don't even know what week it is. But it was beautiful. And I was watching everyone. I'm like, everyone's doing this so precise oh. and so small. Like they were writing the glyphs and videoing. I think, Shakira, we need to maybe put her Twitter handle or something. And she said it's totally by accident. And I, I was like, if I drew them, mine are really big and messy. I couldn't do it. 
So it's the at the astrology without the A. It was great. And then everybody like was retweeting. Did you get something off? There we go. So at the astrology underscore. And yeah, she's here right now joining us for the live version of this recording. Says that she says it happened during the Mercury and Venus conjunction on Wednesday, uh, but totally by accident. Yeah. So it wasn't you weren't going out of your way to do that, but then suddenly everybody was doing it and showing their approaches, which I really loved seeing. So yeah, I'm like it's well, yeah, and then um, different people, the way they put the symbols together, I was like, I never thought to draw that symbol in that way. And it was just right. really interesting seeing different people's writing styles. Like somebody wrote Taurus without taking the pen off, like not as two different symbols, but in like one weird little roundabout. Anyway, it was very interesting to see. I'm glad we had time to mention this tonight. Good, good memory, Chris. Yeah, I love that. There's always like little things like that happening at different points on like Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, but it's fun to highlight so people can check it out and join in and maybe post their own versions of a video of how they write the glyphs. I was wondering if there's any way I'm like, oh, the three of us should have done in the show, but we don't we're not really like set up for this. Well, I actually have an old one that I did like nine or ten years ago, which is like one of my first YouTube videos. Cause what was funny about that is like I was talking to Lisa and she said that she didn't know how to write the glyphs and she'd been studying astrology for several years, but it just was something she'd never done. So I realized that some people actually can get to more advanced stage in their studies. And if you don't do it early on, sometimes you just don't end up doing it. Uh, so I actually did a little video where I demonstrated on like a whiteboard, like my approach to doing them. So if you don't know how to draw the glyphs yet, just do a Google search for how to draw astrological symbols or glyphs for zodiac signs and planets, and you'll see my little version of like how, to, how I write the glyphs at least as of 2010 or something like that. Yeah. It is. It's funny. I remember you know, every time I've taught a beginner or an intro class, it's usually part of an assignment in the first few weeks. But and I think it's really, I agree that it's very important to learn to do because these are the letters in the alphabet that you're going to use to communicate and express yourself for probably forever once you learn them. Uh, I just thought the the astrology of this going sort of semi-viral on Twitter was just amazing with that Mercury-Venus conjunction. Yeah, that's such a good catch. Right? And it just happened. And and as Shakira is saying, it wasn't intentional. I guess she just got inspired and was picking up on something in the others at the time. Yeah, I love that. And I'll put a link to that in the description page for this episode on the Astrology Podcast website to that thread on her Twitter page so people can like respond or post their own versions in response to it or what have you. Oh, she's saying she's in a Mercury perfection year as well. Okay, nice. nice. Which is and great. That's an episode I've been meaning to do for a while. As soon as I can get Alan Oaken I've been trying to get Alan Oaken to do an episode with me because he has this really good treatment. I don't think it's historically, I don't know if it's historically valid in terms of how the glyphs actually came about, but in his intro to astrology book, which is one of my first books, Alan Oaken's Complete Astrology, I think that's the title. He talks about like the symbolism for the glyphs and what they mean or what the deeper meaning is supposed to be behind the glyphs. And I always thought that was really interesting treatment. So one of these days, I hope this is a reminder me. That I've always meant to do that episode with him. That'd be really good. Yeah, but he lives somewhere remote, and it's hard to get him like good internet access and a microphone and stuff like that. Doesn't he live in Portugal? I was gonna say he's not. Yeah. No, he teaches like uh, at a major astrology school in Portugal, but he okay. lives in 
like Bali, but like some really remote part of like Indonesia or something. Okay. Yeah. So one of these days I'll get him. And uh, yeah, you guys got any other topics and anything else funny come up this month? Social media, astrology. I love drawing a blank. Crickets. You've both been moving, I mean, so. yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the cardboard boxes that the cast just knocked over in the middle of the show have been there for 10 days and they haven't touched them. But of course, tonight, while we're recording, bang, just crazy. Um, I, podcast episodes this month, I did one about how there's the increasing frequency of cesarean section births. I don't know if you guys saw that, but- mm -hmm. I saw it come up. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, we're just moving to a period where cesareans are becoming more and more common over the past few decades. And since they're scheduled ahead of time, the doctors will tend to fit them into their schedules during normal business hours, like you know, nine to five, Monday through Thursday, Monday through Friday sometimes. So it's just leading to this, um, it's changing the distribution of births. So there's more daytime births instead of nighttime births. And that's also causing there to be a greater preponderance of certain like rising signs or certain placements of like the sun being in certain houses like in the top half of the chart and stuff like that and so it's just an interesting to think thing to think about what the implications of that are in the long term especially if it keeps heading in that direction yeah like there's going to be maybe potentially a higher percentage of people with the sun in i mean if they're scheduled c-sections they're usually first thing in the morning so that's like sun 12th sun 11th houses usually right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can end up with a cesarean section. I know, um, someone I know had gone into na labor naturally, but ended up with a cesarean and it happened later in the day. So you can, they will, but the scheduled ones do tend to happen in the morning. Um, and so it's not even just in the top half of the chart. It's usually just in that 12th, 11th, 10th houses. Yeah. yeah. So that's, it's interesting to think about like, or, or a world in which like a night birth, like somebody born at midnight with the sun in the fourth house is like a, a unique thing. Yeah. versus a ton of people with the sun in like the 10th house or the 11th house or something like that. Yeah, um, I mean and it it is it's thought provoking. I don't know that I necessarily have answers, but I I believe there was a study done some years ago that indicated more babies are generally born near the full moon rather than the new moon. So there's sort of an argument there that there are more of certain types of moon phases, for instance, if that's something oh, that you consider, yeah. right? Like if it's more common for people to go into labor nearer the full moon, uh, and so, you know, there's more people potentially born with like the gibbous full moon and disseminating moon phases. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, the, mm. the, the full moon brings things to fruition, right? The yeah. cup overfloweth. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And there was already uh, like Wendy Stacy, who I did that episode with, which is titled The Increasing Frequency of Cesarean Section Birth, said there was already tendencies towards certain births occurring naturally on certain times of the day and on certain days of the week, uh, but just that this was like shifting things even more in a certain direction um, due to you know just societal and technological things happening at this time. Yeah. So do you guys know what day you were born on, what day of the week? I do. Do you guys? You, you, you must know, right? It's on our charts. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a Tuesday Mars girl. Oh, okay. What are you guys? I'm Monday's child. Oh, right. the moon. There was a that there was some sense. rhyme I remember when I was younger. It was like Monday's yeah. was it Monday's child is fair of face, Tuesday's child is full of grace, and I don't remember the rest. But I remember Monday's child poem. 
Monday's child is fair of face. Tuesday's child is full of grace. Wednesday's child is full of woe. Thursday's child has far to go. Friday's child is loving and giving. Saturday's child works hard for his living. And the child that is born on the Sabbath day is bonnie and blithe and good and gay. There you go. I like that. I was born on Thursday. Do you guys know the stories surrounding your birth? Like, do you know if you were like a induced birth? Or oh yeah, I was uh, three weeks premature. My uh, my mom and mm. dad had just moved into a little house out in the country, and they were doing they were like retiling or like regrouting the fireplace when my mom went into labor. And then let's see, they went to the hospital, and the doctor was out of town, and so. They tried to delay labor um, by giving her a screwdriver, like vodka and orange juice. And, <laughs> and yeah, that's well, how it started. Uh, uh, and and apparently, uh, yeah, apparently that did succeed in delaying the labor. And then I, let's see, I was so I was born in the afternoon, and I was the I was the only baby in the hospital. But wow. I was uh, again, I was three weeks premature, so I was uh, severely jaundiced. I was also born okay. with jet black mm. hair. Yeah, wow. and it was all lightened except for one patch, which stayed black. And let's see. And I didn't have my stomach valve didn't really work um, for the first year. So if you turn me upside down, everything would fall uh, out. It just came out. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I don't know my birth story. My mom passed away when I was a child and my dad just says you were born and you were healthy. <laughs> He's like, he remembers the not like one of my brothers was a cesarean section so he's like that was a bit dramatic and one of your sisters had the cord around her neck but you were just born and it was sort of fine um the only thing i the story that i have from when i was young is a, you know shortly after i was born or maybe i was a couple of weeks old we were at home in the family home and dad was i was lying on the mat or something and dad was looking at me and he sort of said oh if i could just have five more like you i'd be a happy man and You've got to be careful what you wish for because he did have another five. We're not all the same, but he has um, – I'm from a large family. People may not know that. I'm the eldest of six. So uh, do you know your birth story, Chris? Yeah, and I want to say just briefly, like we, your son is in the first house, so you know you would have been born like around sunrise early oh, I, in the yeah, morning at yeah, least. Yes, right on this. Like I was born. Yeah, so I, I, my mum must have gone into labor naturally. And yeah. it, was a nat- it was a natural, natural, I mean, delivery if you like. Yeah, so there's some sort of story there where at least relatively late at night or early in the morning she must have gone into labor. Yeah, no, now I'm like, I'm gonna have to call maybe one of my aunts will know. They seem to have they're the keepers of the family stories. So I'm gonna have to report back next episode. Yeah, well it's just interesting something interesting to think about in terms of what were the circumstances of birth, not just the birth time, but what was happening around that time. I know Firmicus Maternus in the fourth century, he has like a few like omenological things. That he mentions, like if the native was born during a thunderstorm and there was like a thunder bolt of thunder when the native was born, then it means mm. this or like something like that. And it's something I think about from time to time. Um, I don't have a super good story. It was just kind of a funny story that apparently my mom, my and dad were either she had gone into labor or something, but my dad had a haircut scheduled, so they went and he was getting his haircut, and then. The lady cutting the, his hair said, "When do you do?" And she looks at my mom and says, "When do you do?" And she says, "Right now." And for somehow, like she had gone to labor, I don't fully understand this story. But then they went from there to the hospital. But she said it was like the worst haircut that 
uh, my dad has ever gotten because the, the, the uh, hairstylist was like so nervous that she was just like trying to get it done as fast as possible. And then they went to the hospital, and I was born at one twenty-eight p.m. in the afternoon. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I think there. I mean, there are certain signs, of course. You know, women know they're in labor, and you just you don't always want to go to the hospital too quickly. So they, she might have been like, it's early labor. But you're her eldest child, right? Uh, I was the second. The second. Okay, so she she would have recognized the signs. So then she might have been more confident to just say, it's you know, we've got a bit of time, get your hair cut or something. Yeah, so maybe something like that. But interesting thing. I don't know. I'm not sure what the broader like symbolic significance of that is, but something interesting to think about for everybody to figure out what your birth story is and if that has any symbolic significance either with your later life or just in terms of your chart since there's parts of the chart that are supposed to theoretically indicate like what the labor was like and if there was anything notable during the labor itself or not. Yeah, I think it's really fun to hear like clients' birth stories and, you know, uh, notice different signatures in the chart potentially. Um, it's really interesting. I can tell yeah. we're going to have some great comments on YouTube um, and Facebook around this episode, people's birth stories. Yeah. If anybody's got any interesting birth stories, let us know. Or if there's any interesting correlations in your birth chart with you know, your birth, let us know and like what the circumstances were surrounding it. Only other thing I had, I did one episode at the beginning of the month where I released this interview with uh, Clive Cavan, who published the Regulus edition of Lily in 1985. And that was a really fun and interesting historical interview talking about like the republication, the first wave of republication of ancient texts. And um, he brought to the interview like a first edition of William Lilly from 1647, mm. which was exciting because I didn't realize that books like that were still in circulation and were still like in collections or sometimes available that you can actually find them. But uh, yeah, so that got me excited to look into them. I've been getting into this whole thing about like antiquarian books and the whole antiquarian book thing. And I know that's something you've already been involved with to some extent, Austin, or at least you have friends mm -hmm. that move in those circles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, being, a, being a longtime attendee of the Esoteric Book Conference, which is now the Text and Traditions uh, Conference, um, I have Yes, I, I have many, uh, many antiquarian friends, when just people who like fine editions of things, you know, who want that to be on the bookshelf for the rest of their life. And if they're, you know, if you really, if you, if you love a book and you know, you know, you're not going to read it once and then it's going to sit there for 10 years, you know, getting the finest version of that. Um, and then some people do, you know, some people do it as an investment. That's a, you know. And I think that that overlaps with the people who do it out of love and appreciation of of books as art objects. Yeah. Well, along those lines, I'm super excited. I got I found quite by luck. Um, yes. Uh, a first edition of William Lilly's Christian Very Astrology, nice. which is the oldest English language like major textbook written in English on astrology. It was published in 1647, so it's nearly 400 year old book, and I'm so excited that I found that because I didn't know stuff like that was still around, and I came across it quite by chance. But yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about attending that text and traditions, what is a colloquium or conference in September because that sounds like an interesting world that I'm just starting to learn about and get used to. Yeah, it's in, in Seattle, Seattle every year uh, in September. It's nice. There's some speakers, and cool. there's a there's a, a very nice book fair. 
Yeah, because my my love of books and astrology books are definite is already very developed, but that's like a whole other world of like, you know, um, priceless books or fine edition books and things like that. I know that's something that you did, which I sort of understood theoretically um, when you did it when you your the first edition of your Deccan's book was published, and there was like a super fancy version, like a limited mm. edition version of it. But I have like a greater appreciation of now. I think a few years later, understanding the whole antiquarian mm, nice. book trade. Yeah, when the, there were a couple layers of fancy, there were uh, th- there was there was the the trade yes. paperback, and then there were three layers of fancy. Yes, and so speaking of books, when is that? When is your new edition coming out? Because people keep asking me about it. Now I'm starting to get hassled about when's Austin's Deccan's book and it'll be out in the fourth again. quarter. It'll so, be out. You'll be able to have quarter? it in your hands by Christmas. Okay. And speaking of hassling people about books, Kelly, when is when is your book on the secondary <laughs> progressions coming out? Well, the uh, it is there's now a bit of pressure actually to get it out for ESA 2020, but that was always the goal uh, to have it out for ESA 2020. So uh, once we get a little settled here, um, about mid August actually, probably on some of those nice elections, will be when the rest of my work on the manuscript starts in earnest. And uh, yeah. It's so we are working towards. Um, it'll probably be published mid twenty twenty, I guess, or maybe there'll be the official launch um, at ESA. But that's the goal. Yeah. Brilliant. So you may be giving a workshop on secondary progressions at the ESA conference in September of twenty twenty, and so the goal is to have books on secondary progressions in hand by that time. Ready to go. Yeah, because every now and then it pops up on social media, and it just um, reminds me of how little information there is on the topic and how curious people are. Um, I know I've given lots of workshops and I've got online courses and things, but I know for me personally as a learner, how valuable having a book that you can just refer back to time and time again. Uh, And so, yeah, that's the goal to put um, all my theories, which are a little unusual because there is traditional techniques in there, even though secondary progressions, as far as we know, is a relatively modern technique. So there's a traditional flavor to it. Uh, and then, you know, a bunch of examples. So it's really accessible. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to get it. And it's, I just last year, 2018 taught some modules that gave me the missing bits of theory that I just hadn't quite fully perfected. And so it's really well-timed nice, how it's all nice. come together. Yeah. And that's, that's something in general, there are, there are things that I think we would take for granted in conversation that, you know, anybody past a certain level of involvement in astrology just knows and then somebody says oh well what book do i get on that and you're like "Uh, Uh, it's mentioned in this one section of firmicus but that's you know like uh, there's a familiarity um that goes well beyond that and you know it's like oh four or five people have taught it but i don't know what to tell you for a book and i think that we are um you know, we're in a phase and maybe just entering a phase where some of the the textual record is going to catch up with what astrologers these days know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you guys, I mean, on that subject of books, I have received in the last six weeks, many requests to participate in astrological books. You know, we're looking to a publishing company saying, we're looking to do a book on astrology, this and that. Would you, are you interested in being a writer for this book or the writer for this book? And 
Mm-hmm. In the years I've been working, I've, I mean, I'm doing less astrology writing now than I have in the past at, with probably a lower public profile because I've written for a lot more magazines in the past than I am now. And I'm, I'm just sort of realizing how hungry now the publishing market is jumping on the astrological bandwagon, if you like, um, in terms of wanting to put out more books of varying levels on astrology because they're noticing that zeitgeist shift, if you like. Yeah, because it was like the publishing of astrology books was on the decline for years. And then suddenly we've seen this sort of resurgence over the past year or so, where suddenly not only are publishers like more interested suddenly, and I've seen that as well, but also there's new astrology books coming out by major publishers. So it's like Annabelle Gatt's book, The Astrology of Love yeah. and Sex, just came out. I know Chani Nicholas has a book coming out, an intro to astrology book later this year, which I'm excited about. Um, and I I'm think sure Jessica Laniato, and I never quite pronounced her last name properly, and I apologize for that. I think she has a book coming out too. Does she? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So there's just a lot, and um, I know there's a few groups of astrologers that are all contributing to series of astrology books that'll be coming out um, as well. So it's fascinating how that tide is rising again. Yeah, that's really exciting. Actually, are you going to do any of that, or have you thought, considered it? <laughs> I haven't even really. Good? I haven't got back to the emails yet. <laughs> I've okay. been looking at these emails, coming, thinking, do I, you know? And I've had to think about it. And um, obviously, the progressions book is my priority. But then the crazy part of me is like, maybe we could squeeze another one in. But uh, um, based on the experience of you guys and just watching you with your own books, I'm very reluctant to take on anything else right now until that first book is out. Good. Yeah. Get the first book. First book out. Yeah. I want to see that yeah. book on secondary progressions because then I can recommend it to everybody. And Thank that's still you. one of our most popular yeah. past podcast episodes was the one you and I did on secondary progressions that went so well. Yeah. And that's I do still get feedback about that. And if people are looking for more info, just search. I'm not sure what episode number it is, but it'll be on the astrology podcast list. And Chris might look it up for us now. Because that's basically a, an intro um, to progressions right there. Yeah, that was episode 144 on the astrologypodcast.com slash episodes titled Secondary Progressions Every Day Symbolizes a Year. Yay. All right. Um, well, I think then we're at two hours, so it's time to wrap up this episode. Thanks a lot for yeah, joining me today, guys. My pleasure. Thank you. Talk about the start of a new era. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about seeing what your backgrounds look like exactly one <laughs> month from now. So we have a nice picture of Austin's, and we got a nice picture of Kelly's. So we yeah. will take a snapshot, and we'll check in one month from now and see how things look. See how they go. Because I was just thinking, now that Austin and I have moved, we have all moved in the yeah. last few months. Yeah. All of us. Yeah. Which is quite quite a thing. Yeah, that's <laughs> a lot. It's a big deal, and you don't realize how big of a deal it is until you do it. And then when you're in the midst of it, you're like, wow, this is a lot of work. Never again. Never <laughs> yeah, again. And then, you think, and then you think, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> right. Well, you can actually say that, Austin, because you're in like your forever home. I'm thinking, oh my God, at some point in a few years, we're going to have to go back because um, we're here on a like a time limited contract. So I'm not going to worry about that now, though. All right, cool. All right, guys. Well, thank you and good luck next month. Um, thanks to all the patrons who joined us today. There's like 40 people in the audience who are all patrons on the live access tier. Thanks to all the patrons who support the podcast, because pretty much my ability to do a lot of the episodes and the interviews that I've been doing lately has been largely predicated on that. Um, I'm getting ready to launch a new Patreon tier uh, on Patreon where people can get a mention and a shout out at the end of the episodes. And I'm also going to be launching some advertising stuff and have been talking to a couple of companies like Astro Gold, who 
I use their astrology app all the time, so I'm totally open to promoting it. Yeah, so if anybody wants to support the show and you listen to the show regularly, please consider supporting it and pitching in a few dollars just to buy me a cup of coffee uh, each month. I drink a lot of coffee, uh, but if you, you can, if you can throw in just like four dollars a month, then that'll buy me at least one, which I will drink. Uh, in episodes such as this one. So thanks to all the patrons currently doing that, and thanks to everybody who signs up over the course of the next month to get access to some of those benefits. You can find out more information by searching for The Astrology Podcast on Patreon or going to theastrologypodcast.com slash subscribe. So thanks everyone for listening or watching this episode, and we will see you again next month uh, at some point when we talk about the astrology of September. So until then, uh, take care. Bye, everyone. Thank you.